trusted voice of truth and light. The narratives that mislead most of us aren't outright lies. They're the deliberate omission of facts that could give us a more complete picture. And a rally point for those who've accepted the reality that they are not sheep. The world needs your leadership, and the essence of leadership is using your influence wisely wherever you happen to be standing. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, hello there. Welcome to the show. Our growing collection of wrong thinkers. We gather here each weekday at this time to revel in wrong think, which, you know, it isn't as subversive as it sounds. I have my friend Gary Welch joining me today. Hi, Gary. Hi, Brian. You know, uh, as you were just saying that, I was I, I think I kind of mentioned to you, isn't it weird that you and I would be like classified as the radicals and the rebels and the wrong thinkers? I mean, 10 years ago, you and I would be be looked at as just the most conservative, straight laced people on the world. And nowadays we're the guys on the outside. Yeah, I know. It makes you wonder what shifted. It wasn't us so much, or at least I hope it wasn't. I've learned since then. I've grown since then, but I don't think my principles have, you know, done a 180. But uh, but here we are. And to say we live in interesting times is uh, to to be an understatement of gigantic proportions. You had some fun topics uh, that you suggested maybe we touch on today, Gary. And uh, one of the things that uh, that I thought I saw on the list here that I thought was very interesting is. Are lawmakers afraid of lawsuits? And is this one of the reasons why they erred on the side of massive overreaction to COVID-19? Talk to me about uh, the thinking behind that. Well, I'm involved with a an attorney that is actually um, here in Utah that is representing some business owners in regard to the shutdown that, that Utah and certain counties implemented in COVID that really destroyed these businesses. And so we're representing them in a, in a, in a class action lawsuit, not for making money, but to get these, these um, government officials to be held responsible for their actions. And one of the things that came out of it, I was talking with a, with a government official, a county official. Um, he has to be, you know, name nameless. So I won't name him. But he told me, you know, as we were talking about this subject, that their attorneys said, if you don't do anything, you're going to get sued. If somebody gets sick from this and dies, and you as a government organization, county organization, did not do something you're going to be sued by all of these people who die from this thing. And that was their motivation. Okay, I'm a skeptic, but only from this from this standpoint, Gary. How often does the does government do something that turns out to be harmful? I mean, it's well intended, but it still causes harm and then uh, things like qualified immunity are brought up. Well, but they were acting in good faith and they were just trying to do their best. I mean, it's it's not like they don't have a layer of protection to hide behind as it suits them. They can protect themselves, but they cannot protect the organization. The institution itself can be sued and is often sued. Uh, You would be surprised about how many times people try to sue your counties, your cities, and and your state organizations. The individuals themselves are protected from that, and 
there's even some limitations on that. And, and you know, I can even go down a, a rabbit hole with that and talk about how in response to the COVID, the, the Utah state legislature actually passed a couple of extra laws, like saying it's not enough. The existing laws are protecting you from lawsuits. We're right. going to pass extra ones. And to me, that was an omission of guilt. You know, if we're, if you're passing that law, you're admitting like, yeah, we really screwed up on this one and we need to pass extra laws to protect ourselves. But they are very fearful of the, of the organization being sued uh, because their insurance rates go up, their taxes go up, all that other stuff. So every time they make a decision, there is a lawyer involved. You know, it's usually the county attorney, but the, the, there's an attorney involved that advises them on just about every decision they make. And that advice is only about, well, well, will you or will you not get sued? And who exactly files the lawsuit? Is it the the agency of with appointed you know health officials or is it is it to special interest groups i'm curious who's the money and the legal muscle behind that threat of lawsuits typically it's the same people that sue corporations it's the same thing it's just to get rich quick um using an excuse to go after an entity but here's the problem and and this is what something we brought up last tuesday when i was on before the issue is government set itself up for the lawsuit by saying, if you have a problem, we'll take care of it. Any problem, anywhere, anything that comes up, we are the organization responsible for taking care of it. And once they establish themselves as we are the guys who take care of it, when they don't, now they can get sued. I'm I'm at a loss because it sounds like that's a problem they created. They should be able to fix it. Well, they made the attempt. Wow. <laughs> their 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 reactions were based upon that. What do we do to prevent ourselves from getting sued if we did nothing? So we have to do something. And then again, they took the most drastic action because they felt that that would limit the most lawsuits against them. Um, when it comes to like business owners and whatnot, they absolutely don't care. It's like, yeah, so what? You, you get burned by this. We don't care. We do this to you every day. Very interesting. Well, so what's a likely solution? I, I'm just trying to, to noodle out. How do you rein that in? Because this seems like a perpetual get-out-of-jail-free card for the, the state, or at least bureaucrats operating under the state's auspices. They can do whatever they want and then just claim, oh, but we'll get sued if we don't. Um, there has to be some way to compel that accountability. Well, I know this was a subject that was brought up long ago, and it kind of died out. I, I think the, the, the lawyers involved you know, in the world and the power that they have right now in politics killed it. But we are in desperate need of tort reform. We really, really are. I think, I think it is one of the most, if not the most damaging thing to our economy that there is out there right now. Not that there shouldn't be lawsuits, but we should be really, really careful about how you sue somebody, how much you can sue them for, and these things like punitive damages, stuff like that. It's just killing us. Wow. 
Well, that's that's something that definitely needs to be addressed. But I but I would hope it would come before you know the lawmakers, you know, taking a special session to uh, vote even more protections for themselves. I don't know. I I see a breaking point. I guess if there's one positive thing, it's the fact that there is a breaking point now. Um, maybe I'm projecting my own beliefs on on what other people may or may not be seeing, but. Um, if there wasn't a strong distrust or at least a strong disconnect between, oh, you can believe what people in government are telling you um, b- before, there certainly is now. That disconnect has been very real. But unfortunately, there's still a lot of fear and a lot of people who seem to be erring on the side of fear and, and doing what they're told, even though they may not believe the people telling them to do it, you don't have any more credibility than a particularly sleazy used car salesman. And even more importantly, the contradictions, they're not even keeping their story straight and they're not saying the same thing very consistently. Wear a mask, don't wear a mask, don't wear a mask, wear a mask. It's effective, it's not effective. You know, nobody go out and do anything. Okay, everybody go out, but just keep six feet apart and wear a mask and it's still okay. These contradictions are are just indicating that they don't know what they're doing and yet, we sit there and say, yeah, we could trust these guys. They're, they're the ones we want to follow. Yeah. I'm, I'm having a tough time with, with that trust. Let's, uh, let's talk for a moment about, uh, you know, the, the people who are out there telling us to wear the masks. Um, you had, you had mentioned to me, rock stars, movie stars, sports stars talking about their personal freedom and don't tell us what to do. Um, who are the people who are, who are most, uh, the enablers, for the the uh, official narrative you must do this you must social distance you must wear the mask you must not work who's helping get that message out and i and you know this is why they always use this i've always felt like the entertainment world uh singers movie stars um sports stars have always been the pawns of this enlightened elite group they've always been there because this doesn't make any sense. The, these guys who scream about personal freedom are now saying, trust the government, do what the government tells you. That's ridiculous. This is just absolute lunacy. Makes me wonder if somebody has something on them. But that's a conspiracy we'll save for other hosts. We'll take a quick break. Gary Welch is my guest, and we'll be back after this. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome back to the show. Gary Welch is my guest. And Gary, something that has been on my radar screen that uh, I wanted to run past you because I know that uh, you're pretty tech savvy. And uh, I think you, you have your finger on the pulse of a lot of what's going on here. Um, the gig economy, I'm fairly new to my understanding of it. I think I first got uh, hepped to this phrase about three years ago. But uh, the gig economy is a very real thing. It's uh, disruptive innovation, but in a good way. And California appears to be killing it right before our eyes with their AB5 
bill which harshly restricts independent contracting and freelancing across a whole slew of industries and requires the companies, you have to make these people employees and pay them benefits. And you can guess what that's done to a lot of those freelance gigs. And this just just goes to what you and I have been talking about for, for a very long time. It, kind of is, it is kind of like a theme that you and I have been trying to get your listeners to understand. And that is these government officials are inept. They're incompetent. They are not forward thinkers. They're not, they're not the type of people that think about, well, what are the unintended consequences? What are the ramifications of what I do? They basically are just shooting from the hip. And because they have the power, there's really no, no, nothing there to stop them or check them or anything. They just go off and say, hey, let's do this. So from their point of view, they had a very good tax revenue. California had a very good tax revenue with you know the employee side of things and in taxing the employees on the taxi services itself. The, you know, the yellow cabs and those guys, they had a very strong tax system in place for that. Now you get this disruptive technology that comes in like the Ubers and the Lyfts, and it just blows that all away. Well, they don't think of anything else other than the money. How do we get the money back? How do we get that money revenue stream back? And then they react. It's a knee jerk reaction, kind of like, oops, let's, let's do this so we can get this income back. And, and I'll let you address this. They did not recognize that companies like Uber and Lyft was going to say, hey, guess what, guys? We're not going to play that game. Yeah, and it, it appears that a judge has ruled that uh, as far as these, these businesses like Uber and Lyft, they have to be in compliance by the day after tomorrow. They have to make that transformation by August 20th. Uh, judge ordered that to go into effect. The bill itself went into effect in, in January. But since it's almost impossible for them to comply, these companies are just going to shut down their operations in California. So if you're traveling yeah. to California and you don't plan on renting a car and finding parking and, you know, navigating for yourself, good luck because uh, Lyft and Uber are not going to be an option most likely after Thursday. And you're hearing story after story about all the businesses that are leaving New York, all the businesses that are just, you know, migrating out of California like a flood that's happening. I remember when Seattle, when I lived in Seattle and they passed the $15 an hour minimum wage, you know, that, that was just, Hey, let's do this. The flood of businesses that left that city was tremendous. It wasn't a trickle. It wasn't just a couple. It was like everything went and disappeared. They never thought about that. And, and you and I, if, if we were in that position, I'm almost positive you and I would say, well, you know what? If we do this, we're going to put Uber and Lyft in a situation where they have no choice, but they're going to either shut down and leave and we're going to lose everything. Now we're going to lose all these jobs and we're going to lose all that. How come they couldn't think of that? There's a great article by Brad Palumbo on the Foundation for Economic Education's website. Um, I'll share this in the show notes, which you can find at the com. It's worth reading about, if for no other reason, it will show you that in, in spite of their good efforts or their good intentions, I should say, 
uh, what California lawmakers have done in the name of protecting the workers is they have managed to destroy innumerable jobs across a whole bunch of different industries. Uh, in fact, uh, James R. Harrigan, I'll be interviewing him uh, Thursday on the program. He and his uh, co-host Anthony Davies from the uh, Words and Con- Words and Numbers uh, podcast summed up the key insight of unintended consequences, saying lawmakers should be keenly aware that every human action has both intended and unintended consequences. Human beings react to every rule, regulation, and order that governments impose, and their reactions result in outcomes that can be quite different than the outcomes the lawmakers intended. So while there's a place for legislation, that place should be one defined by both great caution and tremendous humility. Sadly, these character traits are not often found in those who become legislators. That ring true to you? It does. In fact, as you were talking, it just hit me about one of the things that that we have talked about in our book, uh, Embrace Capitalism, about the type of politicians that we have now and our government officials in that they are more ideologically influenced. It's the ideology that is driving them and the common sense things about what is government for and what is your purpose and and why are you there and the type of laws you should be passing all go out the window. I have this ideology about climate change that's it. Every, all the rational thought, all the facts, all the evidence, everything gets rejected because the ideology is in place. And we talk about the patriot politician, that we really need to get back to this. The, the ordinary person that just like you and I, that we should be the, the government officials that get elected. We do our thing. You do a four-year stint, two-year stint, whatever, and out you go. You know, I've done my service, just like serving in the military and whatnot. I've served my community, and I'm out. And that those kinds of people is what we really need in our government because they're going to be driven on the community and about what's right for the community and not just these ideologies. And this goes right and left, Republican, Democrat. I'm not – both of them are just as guilty as far as as I'm concerned. Yeah, I would agree. It's it's not so much about we're just trying to place the blame as trying to point out that um, sometimes just because it's suggested as this is a solution. And in this case, we're just looking out for the workers. What they say doesn't matter as much as but what does it do? Um, freelance writers in particular, I know we're complaining. Look, I've spent years building my clientele and now I'm having to hear my my employers or those who have hired me. The people I've contracted with say we can't afford you anymore. We can't, we can't afford to, to have you as an employee. We can afford to have you as an independent contractor. And this, I guess for some people, this doesn't make sense, Gary. They, they would look at it and say, well, why wouldn't you want the security of a full-time job? I guess, how would we make the case to them that sometimes there's a security all its own in, in having that risk of being an independent contractor? Well, and the other attributes that go with it. Um, I, I'm an independent contractor myself. And to me, the freedom outweighs the security, the ability to dictate my own time, the ability to regulate how much income I will make, not somebody else. More importantly, just like with government, where I always look at them and and say, you know, man, you guys are making a bad decision. There have been too many employers that I have worked for, my bosses, 
where I looked at him and I'm like, man, you are a complete idiot. Why am I having to take orders from you? That sounds harsh, but I think it's necessarily harsh. And, and a person who's unwilling to say those kinds of things um, should probably learn to stand up for themselves because um, nobody else is going to do it for you. Most of all, the politician who's, you know, putting uh, putting an arm around you and saying, yes, yes, I'm here to take care of you while they're simultaneously measuring you for a straight jacket. All right, we got to take a quick break. Our show is brought to you in part today by Firesteel.com as well as the Staples Turner Group at Patriot Home Mortgage. I will have some kind things to say about both of them when we return after these messages. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. Just a quick kind word about my friend John Staples at uh, the Staples Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage. John is my go-to guy. If I if I need a home loan, if I want to refinance, by the way, a lot of folks are doing this right now, he's the one I want to talk to. I trust him. He's got the clout of Patriot Home Mortgage. They started small. They started in St. George, Utah, but have become a real powerhouse, 23 states strong. They have the, the financial resources available. They have the knowledge and experience available. And again, if you're looking for a new home loan or if you're looking to refinance your existing home loan, might be a good time to jump on that. You can talk to them at, uh, just first of all, go to their website. You'll find all the contact information right there, staplesmortgage.com, staplesmortgage.com, and uh, tell them that uh, you heard me talk about them. Tell them I was saying good things. John won't believe you, but you know I was. Gary Welch is my guest. We are talking about a number of different uh, current events, and Gary, uh, before I let you go today, I want to pick your brain about the upcoming election. Uh, the Democrats are having, I guess, a virtual convention. I haven't been watching it, so uh, I just, I, who knows? Maybe I found more productive things to do with my time, but I understand that the blame game has begun for COVID-19, and apparently uh, they're saying P- President Trump has many deaths on his hands. Is this something they would have been saying no matter what happened? Yeah, you know, the one thing I'll say about Donald Trump is that he is absolutely a political lightning rod for, for good or evil. That man just seems to attract the most extreme when it comes to the political dialogue and the things that I have heard recently. And, and, you know, over the past four years have totally astounded me. I don't think there's been any other president, that that has gotten this kind of this rhetoric and, and the extremism of it, you know, kind of what we were talking before about you and I being now the radical, you know, the radical is the norm. That's the status quo. What you and I used to classify as radical extremist type of, of dialogue is now the status quo. And those of us that are calling for calm and for logic and reason and and common sense <laughs> we're the radicals yes we are the odd men out it probably should i think as you said have ponytails and earrings to show our radical status and these claims against donald trump are just just kind of like 
that is going on. Um, I'm going to give you a prediction. Okay. I, 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 this is based just upon my background and knowledge, but I'm going to predict that Donald Trump is going to win and he's going to win big. I mean, it is going to be a stomping ground. Uh, they have no chance at all unless something really even more significant than COVID and the economy comes up. And don't believe the polls that are going on right now. Those of us that realize how these things work, know how these things work, um, we, we recognize that what's going on right now will not be the case of what is happening in November. And I wanna give you kind of like an insider information about how the political system works. Both sides do this, by the way. When you have, they, they know way ahead of time, even up to two years before it happens, the way things are going. And they, they have a very good idea when a president's gonna be reelected. And again, both sides. When Barack Obama was coming up, the Republicans absolutely knew that he was gonna get reelected. This time around, they absolutely know that Donald Trump is going to get reelected. So the prime players, the ones that they really want to win, they stay out of it when that happens. That's when you get the B players, whether it be a John McCain or, or um, um, I'm trying to think of that guy that ran against Reagan that was just like, who is he? Walter Mondale? Um, yeah, there you go. Yeah. You know, you, you get this really that is not really a prime player. Bill Clinton doesn't run when he's going up against Reagan because he knows he's that that's a losing cause. He shows up after Reagan bails out of it and that, you know, that type of thing. And that's where these guys are going to come in. So their A players are gearing up for 2020. And, and Biden is just the placemaker that you throw out there. Now, here's the thing, though. This does create an opportunity for fundraising for the Democrats. This is what they love. And the more rhetorical they get, the more outlandish they get, the more money they get. Okay, I could I could see that playing out like that. It's I, a fundraising game. I wish I had your confidence, and it's not, I'm I'm not carrying water for Donald Trump here. Um, I I probably I find myself leaning more towards voting for him this time around, but I would not say that I am an avid Trump supporter. I just I see the people who are aligned against him, and I think not them. <laughs> There's no way that I could could uh, could not do something to try to at least slow them down. But I what I thought was really a, a, like an ironclad lead for Trump going into, you know, this year, um, I'm not so sure that the economy isn't going to, to hurt him. He, I think he's vulnerable on, on some fronts that he wasn't before. Notwithstanding, I appreciate the way that, that Trump particularly has handled the uh, COVID-19 crisis by uh, taking a little more light-handed approach as opposed to, you know, stepping in there and, and blustering his way about like he knows how to solve everything. I think California Governor Gavin Newsom is probably a better example of, of what that looks like. So one of the things regarding the economy that will start playing out, and again, um, the name of the game is timing. When you when you start your campaign, yeah, you start now, 
but the real start of the campaign is in October. If you do it any sooner than that, voters have a tendency to forget. So they really haven't stepped it up. They haven't put it into high gear, but I can almost guarantee you that when they do kick it into high gear, they're going to be pointing out that this economy was Democratic created. It's the Democrat party, it's the Democrat governors, it is the Democrat officials that really caused this damage to what's going on. And they're gonna put the blame on them. And that is going to move things. The other side of this is also remember, uh, polls don't necessarily mean what they say they mean. Okay, explain that. What, what does that mean? There are different, when I, when I was working as a political consultant, um, we would do all sorts of polling. And there are certain kinds of polls that go out there. There's things that we call push polls, which is I frame the question in such a way that I get the answer that I want. And then I just report the results. I don't report what the question exactly was. Um, there are other polls that we do that uh, you ask a series of questions and, and because of the series of questions, it leads up to get the question that you wanna push out there. And then the other side of this is, is just how people respond to polls. Um, there's a lot of folks out there that will say something in August and be totally 180 degrees out come October. And we know this. So pay attention starting in October. Should we not sweat the stuff going on between now and then? Is it pretty much just, you know, smoke and noise? It is. And again, the if the Democrats were really serious about thinking that they could win, trust me, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris would not be on the ticket. Interesting. Well, I I don't have a dog in this fight. And frankly, um, I, I have to wonder, as, as the election circus wows up to speed, um, what it's keeping us from focusing on that maybe would be of even greater importance. I know we're supposed to believe it's the most important thing, but... Um, I, I'm not so, per that, not so sure that we don't have other more pressing matters, particularly closer to home and in our own state legislatures that uh, should maybe merit a little bit closer attention. And that's the other side of polling and voting that um, a lot of people don't understand in that the number of people that shift, um, those who vote Republican, those who vote Democrat, those who vote independent, and then the actual swing voters is incredibly, incredibly small. The, the key to elections is always your base and your base is very loyal. It's just a matter of getting them out there and Trump can do that more so than Biden. But I, I can tell you there's a lot of Democrats that are gonna sit this one out. Okay. Gary, I've, I've enjoyed having you on the show today and uh, I would encourage uh, folks who haven't been to the website yet, Gary helps me to, to put this all together and make it a positive experience. Go check out his work on the website. And, Gary, let's talk again soon. Thanks, Brian. I always love you.
This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome back to the show. Just a couple quick words about firesteel.com. I have a friend I shared with you yesterday, a post she made about personal preparedness. And she had another post today on Facebook that I thought was just right on the money about preparedness. And I I mentioned this in the context of fire steel because, uh, look, the ability to make a fire is one of those essential things that you must have, whether it's summer, whether it's winter or something in between. If you find yourself in a survival situation, that's the difference between, you know, being warm and dry, having a hot meal and being cold and possibly in great danger. It's the difference between being able to sterilize your water versus having to drink water that has nasties in it. So if you have uh, have any question about what's the best way to go about that, I mean, yeah, it's great to have a Bic lighter close by, but Bic lighters eventually run out of fuel. These fire steels will go for thousands of fires. That is no exaggeration. You strike the spark, and with your fire-making skills, it's not hard. It is not hard at all to put together a nice little fire in a very short amount of time. I save my dryer lint for this purpose because one good spark and the flame is there. You do your part, get the tinder and the kindling ready to go, and you are in business. Firesteel.com. Remember that name. Go to their website. Watch their videos. Look at the demos. And then get yourself a couple of their uh, different products. The Gob Spark is the one that I am super impressed with because it throws a magnificent shower of sparks And if you mention my name as you're checking out, if you'll put in Brian, B-R-Y-A-N, at the checkout code, they will uh, knock 10% off your purchase. So they'll save you some money. You'll have something extremely useful. You you don't have to save it for a rainy day. You can actually take it out when you're going camping or whatever and, you know, amaze yourself and your friends by, you know, being like, uh, like, uh, oh, what's his name? Tom Hanks was in Castaway. You just don't have to work as hard as he did. Firesteel.com. Now, I don't spend a lot of time talking about election stuff, and, and it's, it's for obvious reasons. I, I feel that in many cases it's, it's a distraction, it's a waste of time, unnecessarily divisive. But when I find good advice, I do like to share that, and Thomas L. Knapp has an excellent article that I think would be uh, good to apply not just to Kamala Harris, even though it's about Kamala Harris, but apply this, this measure to every single candidate that you would consider voting for. And the title of this essay is Kamala Harris's problem isn't her identity, it's her character. And this is something that is unfortunately becoming the the central focus of every election question around us. What is the identity of the person involved? Do they come from the right intersectionality? Do they come from the right uh, oppressed group? That's how we're being trained to think. And it takes effort to resist that. And if you're a person who says, well, I am going to get out there and I'm going to vote, then instead of focusing on identity or letting yourself get caught up into that whole identitarian politics debacle, focus on the candidate's character. Thomas L. Knapp says, as you now, as you no doubt know by now, Democratic presidential candidate Joe Biden has chosen U.S. Senator Kamala Harris as his running mate. He says, you've probably also noticed the first salvo of Republican attacks on Harris. 
And it's things like she's not really black. She may not even be a natural born citizen as required by the Constitution to hold the office of president or vice president. Now, he says no sane or intelligent person finds either of these attacks convincing. One need not be a direct descendant of slaves in the antebellum American South to be black. Harris, the daughter of an Indian mother and a Jamaican father of African descent, has been treated as a member of the African-American community, both by that community and by society at large for her entire life. Nor must one be the child of American citizens to be a natural-born citizen. Harrison, Harris was born in the United States and subject to the jurisdiction thereof per the 14th Amendment. So Thomas Knapp says her claim to natural-born citizen status is better than that of 2008 Republican presidential nominee John McCain, born in Panama, or 2016 Republican nominee contender Ted Cruz, born in Canada with a Cuban father. He says these attacks on Harris miss the point entirely. And he says, I find that neither surprising nor coincidental. The attacks that actually make sense boil down to this. Skin color and eligibility concern trolling aside, Kamala Harris would make a perfect post-Nixon Republican candidate for any office, including president or vice president. After all, Harris made her name as a tough-on-crime prosecutor. As San Francisco's district attorney, Harris dramatically increased the number of prosecutions for marijuana possession, thereby encouraging higher arrest rates. Nearly 2,000 San Franciscans found themselves entangled with the justice system over possession of a plant she now jokes about smoking herself and says she wants to legalize. In her one and a half terms as Attorney General of California, Harris oversaw the incarceration of nearly 45,000 new African Americans and more than 80,000 new Latinx prisoners, several thousand of them for victimless, victimless drug crimes. He says when it comes to persecuting African Americans, Bull Connor had nothing on Kamala Harris. And when she wasn't hassling people of color, Harris spent her time as AG protecting corrupt and violent cops, fighting against the release of exonerated prisoners, and engaging in showy arrests without legal basis, like her instantly dismissed charging of Backpage CEO Carl Ferrer with pimping for publishing material she disliked. So Thomas L. Knapp says Harris doesn't seem to be a Democrat based on any particular conviction, at least not any conviction matching the current Democratic mood. She just climbed the political ladder of the party in power where she happened to live. Republicans who question her racial background and citizenship status would carry her to 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue on their shoulders if she had an R next to her name. Martin Luther King Jr. dreamed of a world where people will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. And he says by that standard, Kamala Harris is completely unfit for the office of vice president. So I know this is focusing on Kamala Harris, and for some this is a dog whistle. All right, now we're talking. Now we're, you know, ginning up some anger and hatred towards the Democrats. But I want to take this a different direction. It's not enough to gin up some anger here. It's not enough to get people riled. Think about what you are doing when you go to vote. Whether you mail in that vote, as the controversy rages today, or whether you go and vote in person. What does that vote represent? On one hand, it does represent consent, or at least you conferring a degree of legitimacy to what is taking place. After all, you're participating in it, right? 
I would think the person who says I won't participate in it has a stronger case that uh, I don't find this legitimate than the person who does, you know, jump in with both feet. More than that, though, when you are standing in the voting booth and you're trying to make that decision, or maybe you're just exercising the decision you made a long time ago, casting your vote for a particular candidate, I would hope that you have more important things on your mind than simply what group do I feel this candidate belongs to? And I'm not just talking skin color. And I'm not just talking about, uh, you know, ideology. If you're thinking in terms of their identity, well, this person identifies as a Republican. Yeah, Mitt Romney has, has played that to great effect here in my home state of Utah. Got himself elected senator on it, as a matter of fact. I don't know very many thinking Utahns who are really happy with the outcome of that. They don't consider him to be representative of Utah or the values of the people of Utah so much as he's just a consummate politician and has the ability to mirror whatever his audience happens to be saying or thinking at the moment. Character is what counts. And if you want to get to understand a particular candidate's character, well, there are a couple of things you can do. First of all, if they have held any political office, look at their track record. Don't look at what they say. Politicians are notorious for saying things that will resound with their audience. I mean, seriously, look, if, if you knew the amount of money that is spent on, on focus groups and, and handlers and coaches that will sit there and walk through them, this phrase we found evokes a warmer feeling than this phrase. And So they're always looking for the right buzzword, the right way to say something, the right message to mirror back to people that they're talking to. Words are cheap. And I know the irony of that coming from a guy who uses words to uh, sing for his supper. But if they have a political track record, look at what they've done. What have their actions shown? Have they consistently voted for things that uh, protect your natural rights, that keep government operating within its proper limited scope? Or have they justified expansions? Have they justified, well, but I'm bringing home the bacon to you, baby. Have they said, you know, not, I'm, I'm just doing this because this is the way things are done. Are they claiming expediency for doing things that government really has no business doing? In fact, if you ask them, hey, is there something that government absolutely shouldn't do? And they sit there giving you an impression of a brook trout as they try to think of something. That's not a very good indication of their character. Study it out for yourself. Find the ones with solid character. Find the ones willing to be unpopular. Consider voting for them. This is The Brian Hyde Show.